G'day, and welcome to the AHDC podcast series, Health Design on the Go. I'm your host, David Cummins, and today we're speaking to Kate Copeland, Executive Director, Strategy and Planning, Assets and Infrastructure, and Strategic Development at Metro North, ex-physiotherapist, editor of the Australian Healthcare Design book from 2000 to 2015, and the judge of the European Health Design Council conference. Kate is an advocate for research and change within the industry and always supportive of the industry for those within it. Kate has been in the industry for over 40 years and been with the Australian Healthcare Design Council since 2012. Kate is the current chair of the AHDC and has been so since 2016. And without Kate's amazing leadership, the AHDC would not be the global organisation it is today. Welcome, Kate. Thank you for your time. Thanks, David. It's a pleasure to be with you. So what I was surprised about in our pre-interview was to learn that you are an actual physiotherapist within the health construction and infrastructure industry. How important do you think it is from a patient perspective to actually have that clinical understanding of a patient's needs? I think it's a contributor. I don't think it's necessarily essential because a lot of the people that we work with, project managers, architects, etc., have an empathetic understanding of the needs of the patient, if not a clinical understanding. But I do think it adds a different perspective to what might be the usual um, professional backgrounds. Yeah, 100%. I think most people have either been a patient or know someone who has been a patient in a hospital and to have that level of understanding of not only a patient's needs but also a patient's family's needs and the staff and care that goes into it for me is a driving factor for for me in in this profession. Yeah, it's interesting. Many years ago when we were doing the first planning for the Princess Alexandra Hospital redevelopment, the chief executive of the day decided that he would make all of the design team participate as a hospital patient. So we prepared diagnoses for each of them, which they didn't know, and then we admitted them to hospital And they spent 48 hours in hospital going through whatever it was that they were there for. So some went to theatre and got fasted and cancelled and some went to x-ray and got pushed around the hospital and then taken back up to the wards. And it was quite an interesting insight for them. You know, we had people who were over six foot six tall who said the x-ray trolleys were too short or they went to have a shower and there was nowhere to hang up their clothes where it didn't get wet with the spray from the shower. So it really gave them some different insights into what it's like to be a patient in a hospital, and they didn't have to contend with pain. So did that prove to have better design and clinical outcomes for the patients or just better experience overall for the, for the project? I certainly think that it added some insights into some of the equipment purchases that were made because there were considerations about what happens if people are taller than the average or wider than the average. And I think it it transferred through into the design of the physical facility as well. So how does one become from a physiotherapist to an executive director at Queensland Health? What's your career pathway been? Well, it's a long and winding path like most of these things. He Loved being a clinical physio and I worked as a physio in Victoria and South Australia and Tasmania before I moved back to Queensland. 
I am a graduate of the University of Queensland originally. And two things, I suppose. One is I wanted to do further study after my degree in physiotherapy and uh, and I, I was a wife and, and mother, so I wanted to have some extra strings to my bow when I was in and out of the workforce with um, having my children. So I did a degree in business, majoring in health administration. And when I went back to work after my second child, I got a management job because I had both qualifications in both physiotherapy and in business. Uh, And then I went on to do further studies in health economics and that, that was really interesting. It gives you a whole new perspective on decision-making in the health sector. But sometimes it's serendipity as well. So one day in 1994, the chief executive of the hospital I was working at rang me up and asked if I'd like to do a project for three months. And I did and I loved it and I've been doing projects ever since. Since then, what would you say have been some of the highlights of your career? When... I was working at the Princess Alexandra Hospital, which I've just mentioned before. I had the opportunity to go into the Queensland Department of Health and work on both the Royal Brisbane and Women's Hospital redevelopment as well as the PA Hospital redevelopment. And it was really exciting to be part of that journey from the early days of the project planning right through until the delivery of the projects. So the PA redevelopment was finished in 2001 and the Royal Brisbane and Women's Hospital redevelopment in 2002. And and I was there for eight years going through that whole process, which was fabulous. What would be one of the funniest and great lessons learned that you'd like to share to people? You tend to have things, there's very black humour in hospitals and I find project management's a bit the same way. One of the things that I really appreciated, and I don't know that I did at the time, was we used to go for a complete tour of the hospital once a month through the three years of construction, and we would walk from either the basement to the 12th floor or from the 12th floor to the basement, and it was always stairs because, you know, the the builders were using the, the builders' lifts, and often the lifts hadn't been commissioned at that stage. So you certainly got to know the hospital intimately. And what would you say have been some of the biggest challenges in your career? Obviously, you've just gone from being a clinician to a manager and from a manager to being on site. So that would have raised some some challenges throughout your career. Yeah, the flip side of challenges is always opportunities. And, you know, they're trite sayings, but every cloud has a silver lining. After I finished working on the Royal Brisbane and the Princess Alexandra Hospital redevelopments, I went on to do some other roles within Queensland. So I was asked whether I'd like to be the project director for the Clinical Skills Development Centre and a colleague, a medical colleague and I had the opportunity to go and visit skill centres around the world. The timing was completely unfortunate because it was at the time the height of the SARS epidemic and so we, we had a deep and meaningful discussion of 
should we actually go and do this? Should we actually travel to four different continents over the course of two weeks? And we we did decide to go and it was a fabulous trip and we learnt an enormous amount. But when we got back, he said, well, if we were infected, we'd have infected four continents on our travels. So, oh, great. So with the AHDC, you've been the chair or chair for about six years now. In that last six years, you've gone from strength to strength. Why do you think the AHDC has been able to achieve so much in its 11-year lifespan? Well, we have to give credit where credit's due. And I know Jane... McCarthy would say this also, but a lot of the background of the Australian Health Design Council was modelled on the New Zealand Health Design Council, which had been set up not long before. And they say plagiarism is a sincere form of flattery. And Daryl Carey, our colleague in New Zealand, was quite happy for us to take some of the the key tenets that had been established and, and replicate them for Australia. So that's certainly one of the background things that that Australia was looking to its counterparts overseas and seeing what they'd done and taking good bits from that. I think the other thing that I found was the International Academy for Design and Health was quite active at that time. And we, a colleague and I, proposed that Australia host the 2013 World Congress, which was hosted in Brisbane. And I think That also allowed the Australian Health Design Council to get some publicity. Uh, What do you think some of the similarities and differences differences are for European health design versus Australian health design? Well, the, the really obvious difference is the climatic conditions. At one stage, I went to Finland to visit a hospital that was quite newly constructed there. And when we came in through the foyer, there were banks and banks and banks of lockers. And I said to somebody, what are these lockers for? And they said, oh, that's where the patients put their snow gear when they come into the hospital. So (laughs) not something I'd ever had to deal with in Australia. So there's lots of similarities, but there's also differences. So one of the other key differences that I note is that under the Building Code of Australia, there's a requirement that all patient rooms have access to natural light. But in Europe, there's a requirement that all rooms have access to natural light. So the deep plan for a lot of podium developments that we have in Australia are just not suitable or accepted in in European hospital developments. So they have more of those finger-type developments or developments that have big light wells down the middle of them. What do you think the future of health design looks like and what do you think new technologies and innovations will come forward? In the next five years, I'd really like to see more focus on digital integration in our hospitals. I think one of the biggest challenges we're going to have in the health sector in the coming decades is the workforce. Unfortunately, we are going to be in a population environment where the number of people who are children and young people or past the working age group is greater than the number of people in the working age group. And that means finding the workforce to do all of the healthcare delivery 
that we anticipate is going to be required is going to be a major challenge. And in a post-pandemic world and in a world where ethics is increasingly important, um, using technology and using different ways of doing things to complement and support the health workforce is going to be increasingly important. And it's going to mean that some of some elements of our hospitals have to be designed differently to support different ways of working. When you go to yeah. European hospitals, you see things like automated guided vehicles in most facilities. You see different ways of distributed technologies. The other key thing that I see is the decentralisation of healthcare delivery so that, you know, the hospital and the nursing home and the community base for health services are all in one location. But that's for small rural communities. It works really well to have multi-purpose health services. But in in large metropolitan areas, you know, the, the decentralisation is evident already. The use of community hospitals in Victoria, the current approach in Queensland of developing satellite hospitals, all, all of those things are going to be elements of the change over time. Yeah, I agree. What advice would you give for those people starting out their career and those interested in getting into more healthcare design and healthcare infrastructure, but probably not ready enough to be a full specialist? Look, my experience has been if you're interested and you're prepared to invest some of yourself in things, then there's opportunities that come along. So having a focus on continued learning, not not just doing one academic program and then thinking that that's going to do you for the rest of your working career. As you move into different roles, do a, an evaluation of your knowledge base and skill sets against the competencies of the particular role that you're in or applying for and then look to ways to fill the gap. Some of that will be self-development, some of it will be academic programs, some of it will be asking for exposure to opportunities. And I guess one of the best pieces of advice I can give people is if you get offered an opportunity, don't say no without thinking about it because you never know where it's going to lead you. Yeah. Okay. I just wanted to say thank you so much for your time and effort in that you put into that AHDC, but also the industry. Your efforts are absolutely fantastic and world-renowned, and certainly the AHDC would not be in the position it is today without your leadership and guidance and advice. Well, it's very kind of you, David. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for your time today, Kate. You have been listening to the AHDC podcast series, Health Design on the Go. If you would like to learn more about the AHDC, please connect with us on our website or LinkedIn. Thank you for listening.